We're talking about the, the serial killer. New South Wales Police don't have a great deal of experience investigating serial killings. I can't picture him being a murderer, you know. I can't picture him doing that to those kids, really. I want him to go to jail for justice. And I still want to fight for justice. 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 All we want is justice. Get us in the court. And this is unique. It hasn't happened in New South Wales before. I, I, as far as I know, it hasn't happened in Australia. I am absolutely gobsmacked by the amount of people that have never heard of it or no understanding of it. This is Bowerville, a podcast about innocence and guilt, brought to you by the Australian newspaper. I'm Dan Box. Since we've started these podcasts, things have changed. This is the families of Colleen Walker, Evelyn Greenup and Clinton Speedy Giroux marching on the New South Wales Parliament, demanding justice for their children's deaths. The police are now formally calling for a retrial of the man suspected of the killings, Jay Hart. And for the first time the State Premier has said this will be dealt with by someone independent of his government. So, for this final episode, we want to try something different. What about the argument that Jay didn't do it? How strong is the case that he's innocent? This time, you be the judge. So first up, does Jay have an alibi? Publicly, he's only given one once, in court, on trial for killing Clinton. Jay said then that the two of them had been at a party in Bowerville on the night of January the 31st, 1991. They went back to his caravan at about 3.30am. If Jay had killed Clinton, he'd have to have done it and disposed of the body before 6am when Jay was due at work. His evidence about that morning is complicated, so Eric, that's the producer, and I went to the property where he was living to recreate his movements on that day. See if that would make sense of what Jay said. Cool. So according to Jay's evidence, he set his alarm for between 5.15 and 5.30 because he had to get up and be at work in the tannery for 6 o'clock that morning. He woke up feeling pretty sick. He'd been out drinking till well, at least 3.30, probably later after, by the time he got to sleep. And he says, after he woke up, he heard somebody leave that caravan, but he fell asleep again and woke up again just before six. Now, he had a friend, a guy who was working at the tannery with him who was due to come and pick him up. Jay says he thought he'd missed that friend arrive. So he went into the house, got his mum's keys, and telling the court that he didn't want to be late for work, he got in the car, Drove out the drive, down here. About 100 metres on, he turns left into Williams Street. And from here, he goes up, and there's a short rise, maybe another, what do you reckon, 100, 200 metres? Yeah. Over the intersection with Bowery Street. And at this point, he says, in his rear view mirror, he saw his friend who was due to pick him up turning into the street he'd just come from, heading for his house. So Jay says he pulls over and he stops. And he sits here and he waits in the car. He says a couple of minutes pass, nothing happens. 
So he then he turns the car around and drives all the way back home, back over Barrow Street, back here, pulls up outside his house, walks up the drive where he sees his mate who's come to pick him up, tells his friend to go back to work and Jay says that he will follow him in the car that he's taken out this morning but he wants to stay at home and have a cup of tea or coffee so the thing is and this is the thing Jay has already late for work he's told the court that he wanted to be at work on time because apparently it's really busy first thing in the morning if you miss the start you get behind for the rest of the day he doesn't want that to happen but he rather than getting back here and going to work with his friend or driving himself to work he comes back here, sends his friend away, and then says he wants to go inside and have a cup or tea of coffee because he's feeling pretty sick and he's hoping he's going to make that feeling make, make him feel better. And here's the strange thing. What the court heard is that when Jay got back to the caravan, his alarm clock is still ringing. Nobody's turned it off. So, I mean, what do you think? It, having done that, what does it, how does that feel? I don't think it's as incriminating as I thought it was uh, on paper, I can see if I was hung over and I was like, all right, fine, I'll get my act together, I'll go to work, start driving to work, see my mate drive off, pull over, think, oh, can I be bothered going back and talking to him or should I go to work, think about it for a second, turn around and come back and say, all right, I'll meet you there. I'm not sure that you can definitely say that it's, you know, malicious or that suspicious it could just be a confused hungover bloke who can't decide what he wants to do with his morning but I mean there's the two things aren't there there's the the one thing is this idea that Jay is late and he, he he hammers this point in his evidence in court that he did not want to be late and yet when he gets back he sends his mate away and goes in for a cup of tea so he's on his own again and the other while it's plausible, it does leave open the possibility that actually it's not true. I mean, all you know for sure, and all you know for sure because there's an independent witness, which is Jay's friend, is that Jay came back late that morning in the car. The only account we've got that Jay went out, as we've just recreated, as he described, is Jay's own account. And then there's that thing about the alarm ringing. So when Jay's friend gets here and when Jay arrives here, the alarm's still going off in the caravan. No one's turned it off. Now, it's possible Jay woke up and didn't, set his, didn't turn his alarm off and went out to work. But when I've woken up hungover and there's an alarm going, the first thing you want to do is stop that noise. And is the argument also that even if, hypothetically, Clinton's body's left the caravan at this point, yeah. Jay's left and gone to work, realised his friend's going back to the caravan, could potentially be looking at the scene of a crime, so rushes back to just get rid of the guy, make sure he's not there, and then hangs out at home for a second, maybe cleans up a little bit more and then goes to work. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. And it, But equally, and this goes back to what you were saying at the start of this conversation, which is that actually having done the drive, it does feel plausible. I didn't. Looking he at hadn't it, gone very far by the time he Yeah, looking around. at it on paper, it seems strange. You got the feeling that he'd driven further and he'd made more of an effort to drive back, but actually he's really only around the corner, maybe 500 metres. So that's Jay's account. When you sit here and in the car, it does feel plausible. But then you've got 
The other thing which comes up is that idea that Clinton's shoes were left at the caravan and were found later by his girlfriend when she woke up, he took them home to his dad. So if Clinton had, on Jay's account, got up and left the caravan before Jay woke up, he'd walked off without his shoes. And one thing all of his relatives that we've spoken to agree is he never went anywhere without his shoes. So once again, we're left with another maybe. There's yeah. nothing concrete here. It's a maybe. So I'm not sure Jay has an alibi that stands up, especially as another witness told police she saw the car Jay says he was driving leave the house much earlier than he claimed in court, at about 4.45, maybe 5 a.m. But this witness didn't see who was at the wheel. So I guess it could have been anybody, right? Plus, a whole swag of other witnesses say they saw an Aboriginal male hitchhiker out on the roads that morning. All of them describe different times and different places, including close to where Clinton disappeared. None of them can say for sure that it was Clinton that they saw, but it's still a problem for the prosecution. Equally, more witnesses say they saw the second murder victim, that's four-year-old Evelyn, walking around Bowerville on the day after the cops say that she was killed. Now, that's important, because if Evelyn didn't disappear after the party where Jay was seen, then there's very little to link him to her killing at all. That became a major stumbling block. In fact, one detective told us that was why they got the not guilty verdict at the trial. Except... When the police went back and interviewed these witnesses again, almost all of them said they weren't sure it was Evelyn. Or maybe they got the date wrong. Or when they checked, it turned out they themselves weren't in Bowerville that day. So again, there's nothing concrete that says Jay couldn't have done the murders. But that still doesn't mean Jay is the kind of person that could kill. To answer that question, you need character witnesses. People who knew him well, like Barry and Susan Bailey. I knew Jay real well, yes. Tell me about him. What was he like as a Well, as a he, was, he, he was quite all right. I, I, can't, I can't picture him being a murderer, you know. I can't picture him doing that to those kids, really. Why not? Well, he, he was such a good sort of a bloke. He was a gentle sort of bloke. Big, tall fella, gentle fella. Didn't seem to bother anyone, used to have a few beers, used to be with the Aboriginal girl and that. He just seemed just like we are. Has there ever been anyone else that the police thought might have done it? Not that I know of. Not that we know of. We haven't heard nothing like that. No. I think the cop is pretty piss weak myself, That's the investigator. I don't think he even knows where he's going. I, I wouldn't even piss on him if he was on fire, that fella. That's pretty harsh. Oh, I know. <laughs> why why so harsh, I mean? Well, he, he's not doing his job. Because he's not found someone else? Well, he hadn't found anyone. He's as weak as piss. That's my book. Unless it was Jay. Unless, but how do we know he hadn't proved nothing? Someone else who knew Jay and defends him is his uncle, who still lives in Bowerville today. Hello, how are you? I'm sorry to bother yeah. you out of the blue like this. Yeah, what? 
Now, as you can hear, Jay's uncle has a big dog who likes to get close to our microphone. One thing that's never, ever been done as far as we can see is no one's ever told Jay's side of the story. No one's ever tried to tell it. Yeah, because no, nobody wants anything to do with it, mate. How do you mean? Oh, no. Just, yeah, like, as far as we're concerned, he had nothing to do with it, and that's it. Have you ever asked Jay about it? Like, just, no. you know, like you and me are talking nah, about it. said, nah, why nah. not? Well, as far as I know, well, he didn't do it. Because you, you can't. But how do you know he didn't do it? Because I know he wouldn't do it. Yeah, across it might. Yeah, it's a big call. I huh? know, and it's a big thing yeah. for me to be saying to you. Yeah. Like, how do you know your nephew didn't do it? Well, I believe. Well, tell you that I believe that he wouldn't do it. Yeah. I believe he wouldn't be able to do it. Do you understand why people think it was Jay? Only because they said it was. But he was there, you know. He got three, yeah, I know three he was there. Disappear, and yeah. he was there for but all there's a lot of other people at that parties as well. Not just Jay. But there's evidence that puts them not just at the parties, but actually in the room with these people oh, just before they go. I don't know where the evidence is. If they had this much evidence, mate, he'd be locked up. Right? This is all hearsay, as far as I'm concerned. And maybe he's right to say there isn't that much evidence. Not forensic evidence, at least. There's no fingerprints, no DNA. With Colleen's death, they don't even have a crime scene, and her body's not been found. But there are the four prison witnesses who say Jay discussed the murders with them in jail. One of these says Jay described dumping Clinton's body in the bush, wrapped in a blanket. Another says Jay told him he used tomato sauce to cover up bloodstains in his caravan. The problem is, they're prisoners, which means they're criminals. So, can you trust them? Also, none of these conversations were recorded. When police did ask these guys to wear a wire, they either refused or couldn't get Jay to talk. And then there's a bigger problem with the evidence. The three children died over 25 years ago. Memories fade, dates become uncertain, even colours change. What was a red car in one telling becomes orange, becomes mustard-coloured over the years. That means a defence lawyer can legitimately say, we can't trust this person's memory in court. Ultimately, Jay was found not guilty of killing Clinton and Evelyn in separate trials. So what does he say happened in Bowerville all those years ago? Well, he's repeatedly refused to talk. While he gave evidence at the trial over Clinton's death, he declined to do so at the trial for Evelyn's killing. He also declined to talk to the police about Colleen and to give evidence at an inquest in 2004. So finally, and this has been a long time coming, Eric and I decided we had to try to talk to Jay Hart ourselves. So where are we? We're sitting outside Jay Hart's house, where Jay Hart lives now. Now, I can't tell you where that is, but it's not in Bowerville. My only concern is that it's... This is another small community. This is a tight community. It's pretty run down. There's a lot of people walking out on the street, walking past, already eyeballing us. My major concern is that we stand out like a sore thumb, which means that every car that goes past us, like this one, this guy's going to turn his head and he's going to look right on in and he's going to see us. And I don't know how long we can sit here before someone, if Jay's in there, gets a message back to Jay. 
and within a few hours, the situation did begin to spin out of control. What are you doing? Hey, mate, how you doing? Good. What's all this? My name's Dan. I'm a journalist with The Australian. Show me. Show you what? Proof of ID. Who you are, who you work for. Mate, I'm happy to do that. No, well, show me. Yeah, just give me a second. It's in this bag, all right? Other of the neighbours started crowding round our car. We're going to disguise one of the names they mentioned just out of fairness to someone who's caught up in all of this. Fucking heads of kids in this street. There's fucking heads of pedophiles around. Mate. He's got fucking cameras that's just sitting up there. So what are you doing? We're hoping to speak to one of your neighbours, mate. For what? Pedophile. No, I'm not saying anything about him. We just want to talk to him about something he might have done. Who? Right there. Do you know who lives there? This one here? Yeah. yeah. Jay? Yeah. We're looking to speak to Jay. Jay. Hart. Yeah. Hmm. You know Jay? His daughter and me went through school together. We're quite very good friends. Okay. So, yeah, I do know. You do know Jay? What do you investigate? Do you know the neighbours? Yeah. They're quite lovely, actually. So is he. Look. I don't get involved in that. No, no, no. He's quite the lovely man. If you're after this guy next door here, buddies, I'm telling you now, mate. If he's what you say he is, oh, good luck to you getting him for it, right, yeah, because this neighbour's been a neighbour of mine for a long lot of years while I've lived here for 20 years, mate, and this guy's been a neighbour of mine and I've never heard boo from him yet, right? Always been quiet, well-mannered, everything, right, yeah. You go out of your way to please you, right, yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, they keep, keep to themselves, always have. We're not trying to say he is anything. We're only trying to say that ask was, him. Yeah. People have said he is something. Yeah. And you know what they've said. Oh, yeah, is. we know all about it. You know, if you heard the history, there was yeah. the three murdered kids. Yeah. The Barrowville yeah. The Barrowville yeah. kids. And people have said that he was involved yeah, with that, yeah, that he was know. a killer. I'm not saying he is. I was is. really shocked when it came out. I'm dead set telling you, mate. I couldn't when have been did you more hear shocked about than it? anyone. When did you hear about it? Well, the coppers come into the street here one day and pulled me out and said, you know, um, Jason such and such. And I thought, yeah, I do know the name. And I went, actually, that's the next door name. What do you want him for? They're going, don't you know what he's been accused of? And I went, what? They're all about as quiet as each other. They tell all me, to themselves. Tell That's me one thing. Be well mannered and everything. Quiet. Tell me one thing. What's that? Have you ever asked him about it? No, because it's not our place to ask or pry into other people's private life. But we do all have kids too, and believe me, it's always in the back of my mind. At this point, our cover was completely blown. One of Jay's neighbours was getting on the phone. My first thought is that that neighbour with the phone is almost certainly calling to warn Jay. She knows him. She knows his daughter. If we're to have a chance of talking to him, we need to get there before she gets through. We went back to that house later and later again on separate days. We also tried to call but couldn't get through. Jay didn't want to talk. But driving back, here's what I was weighing in the balance. Jay left Barrowville over two decades ago. As far as I can establish, he's not been convicted of any crime since. His neighbours say he's a good dad and a good grandfather. 
If that leaves you wondering, well, me too. And then today, when I got back into the office, I had a message on my phone. Extension 1485. Enter password and hash. Message received at 1.46 p.m. 25 seconds. Hello, Dan. This is Jay. I heard you trying to speak with me. I think it was you that came to my house yesterday. If you'd like to arrange some time to speak, um, give me a call. Thanks. So I did. Hi, is that Jay? Yes. Jay, it's Dan Box from the Australian. How are you? Uh, good, thanks. Did you come to my place yesterday? I did. Yes. Thought it might have been you. It was. And um, you, you called me earlier today. Yes, I did. Um, I assume you wanted to talk? I do. And Well, what do you want to ask me? First, I asked a few questions to make sure it was Jay I was talking to. And I'm confident it is. Then we started talking about the children's deaths. I just want to say, if it's going to be anything that could be, what would you say, construed as evidence in court, you know, for instance, I did, I've never seen any brief about Colleen. Mm. So any questions about her, I've, I've never seen any of the evidence, so I can't comment on it. Okay, I'm not going to ask you about the evidence, but let me ask you just one or two things about Colleen. You, yeah. You knew her. Obviously, yeah. How did you know her? She was Alison's niece. Yeah. She was last seen on the night of 13th of September 1990, walking down the side of that house, Three Cemetery Road. You were seen walking down the other side of that house around the same time. Well, well once again, that's evidence in the case that I haven't seen. Well, I can't me, comment on it. Let me ask you then, on that night of that party, did you walk down the side of that house to the back? No. Were you there at all around midnight, around the time Colleen disappeared? I was there at, at one point that night, but I left early. You left early? Yeah. Do you know what happened to Colin that night? No, no. Do you say you had nothing to do with what happened to Colin that night? Absolutely. Can I be blunt with you, Joe? I mean, mm -hmm. Why should I trust you? Other people say they saw you there walking down the side of the house around that time. Well, why should you trust that? See, that sort of stuff hasn't been tested. They haven't been... Whoever said that has not had that questioned. Everyone's just assuming that they're, they're right. Let's try... Let's move on to Evelyn. You knew her mum, Rebecca. Yeah. The night Evelyn disappeared, there was a party. Number 6, Cemetery Road. Mm-hmm. You were at that party. Mm-hmm. You were seen walking out of the room where Rebecca and Evelyn were sleeping. No. Hang on. Sure. Just uh, having a cigarette. I'll just put you on speaker for a second. So in court, the person that said she's seen that, and I listened to your podcast, mm. 
she said that she didn't see me come out of the room. She said she'd seen me walk, first seen me when I was about halfway down the hallway. My understanding of the evidence is she saw you walking out of the room. But that that's understanding's wrong then, because that's what she said in court. So you say that she said she saw you walking halfway down the hallway. Yeah. And this was in the early hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So you were in the house in the early hours of the night. No, that's what she said. I'm not agreeing with that at all. Let me be blunt with you again, Joe. And again, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be rude. Did you go into that room where Rebecca was sleeping with Evelyn? After they went to sleep? No. You're saying you had nothing to do with Evelyn's disappearance? That's right. Why did you decline to give evidence at the trial over Evelyn's death? My barrister, or QC or whatever it is, he said it wasn't needed. I didn't have to. Why didn't you? He said he didn't want me to. Why didn't you want to? Why not clear it up? At that point, it's not about me trying to clear things up. It's about winning the case. And if the guy says to me that you know, he's the one with the years of experience, if he says, I don't want you to testify, then that's what you do. Jay and I started going back and forth over the evidence, over all the points we've made in this episode. The witnesses who say they saw Evelyn the next day, how people's memories and dates and details change over the years... We also talked about Clinton, whose body was found dumped beside the Congarini Road, with a pillow slip from Jay's caravan shoved down his shorts. Jay said that maybe Clinton had hitchhiked out there, looking for marijuana to carry in the pillow slip. He said it was a possible explanation that did fit the evidence available. It was a long conversation. Now, I know it's not great sound quality on the telephone line, but bear with me. Eventually, we got to this point. The thing is, for, for what you're saying, which is that you had nothing to do with all three of these, to be correct, you need all of these witnesses, the ones who said they saw you walking down the side of the house with Colleen, the ones who said they saw you walking out of the room where Evelyn disappears, the ones who say they saw someone who matches your description standing over a black teenager just after Clinton disappears. You need the ones who say you confessed to this in prison. You need the one who said you confessed to it later, saying you've got bodies buried out on the Congarini. You need all of these witnesses to be wrong. You need all of those witnesses to have their evidence tested, and some have, and, and come up short. You're talking about evidence being tested. All this evidence being tested in court. You know as well as I do that all this evidence has never been tested all in court at the same time. The Not at the same time. Yeah. Would you welcome someone doing that? That a court hearing all of this evidence at the same time? Yeah, I've thought, I've thought about that over, over years since these double jeopardy laws have been changed. I've almost... If it wasn't for the strain it puts on the family, you know, emotionally and financially and all the other things that go along with it, the national celebrity that comes with it, I don't want none of that. But then again, I want the actual 
evidence to be all heard and seen that it wasn't me. So it's a tough question. But you're saying there's a part of you that would like to see this all go to court? A small part, we'll put it that way. The bottom line, perhaps, is that whoever did kill those three children, they're still out there, walking the streets. I want to give the last word on this to a lady called Alison Walker. She's Jay's ex-partner, she's the mother of Jay's son, and she's also Colleen's aunt. So if anyone's in a position to see this tragedy from both sides, it's her. She's also the last person we spoke to in Bowerville. I want justice. I want every one of them that's involved with Colleen to come to justice. White law won't get them. Black law will get them. What does black law look like? The Aboriginal culture. Our culture. What would happen if black law got them? If black law got them, they wouldn't know. They'd just go street. They'd go silly. It's, it's a law that's, that's strong in our culture and, and if we have that belief, it, it'll stay with us forever till the day we die. And we have a different way of seeing it to, you know, the white fellas, how you see our law and that, see. We can see it differently to use. We see it out in the open and that. But because you've got a white law, you just don't understand that. Can black law get Jay? Yes. You can. What would happen to him? He'd never be able to rest. He won't be able to rest. I hope it's happening now. (laughs) Normally, I'd run through these credits fairly quickly, but this is the end of the series, so bear with me, because I want to mention a few people without whom I wouldn't be here speaking to you now. Firstly, I want to thank Paul, John, Petra, James and Steph, the people on the paper who gave us the time to work on this when there were probably a hundred other things they needed someone to do. Then there's the digital team, led by Andrew Webster, who took what we came up with and helped deliver it to you. A few other people also really lent their weight, and I'm grateful. Fitz, Gary, David, JP. I hope you all know who you are. Finally, and most importantly, the families of Clinton, Evelyn and Colleen. You let us into your lives and placed a lot of trust in us as a result. I hope you feel we did right by you in turn. There are so many names, I couldn't include them all here now. But I want to thank every one of you. Bowerville is a podcast brought to you by The Australian. The producer is Eric George. Original music by Riley McCulloch and Marlo Fitzpatrick. Additional music by Chris Zabriskie, Rui, Graham Bowl and Andy G. Cohen. You can find all the episodes on SoundCloud and on iTunes. To read more about the Bowerville murders, head to theaustralian.com.au forward slash Bowerville. I'm Dan Box.